Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. You know, last week we, we talked about this paradigm shift in Christ. And sometimes people think, oh, yeah, New Year's resolution. Now, when a paradigm shift in Christ happens in your life, um, it changes you for the sake of the future that you're walking towards. And it changes you in a way that when you pass on from this place, the next generation picks up that mantle and takes it even to another level without you being around. That's a paradigm shift in Christ. But a paradigm shift in Christ is not easy. <laughs> I think uh, last week I sort of shared what that really means. It, it, not only does it mean to work hard, it means to uh, a change in, in things that needs to transform your life. And I was so encouraged from the word last week um, that I got challenged to, to, to really wake up in regards to some of the things that I want to do this year. That I, you know, that I didn't do last year, or I want to do things better this year than I did last year. And today, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, share what we're going to focus on um, on part two. But, you know, I want to share part part of my upbringing, right? And maybe some, uh, many of you uh, that may have come from a church background are familiar with this. Some of you that have not come from a church background, this is what usually happens if you grew up in church. Um, and part of my upbringing when I was going to church every Sunday as this young kid, I literally had no choice. Some of you young ones in here, like my sons, you have no choice. Dad, I don't want to, you get yourself in the car <laughs> before we go to your funeral. We had no choice, right, as a, as a, as a kid. And um, some of you are thinking, oh, these are just bad memories, man. <laughs> you know, and, and I would wake up in the morning, all my brothers and my sisters, and we'd wake up in the morning and we'd put on our Sunday clothes, our best Sunday clothes. And it wasn't, you know, you weren't allowed to go to church, right? Like the way we are dressed today in, in the church that I attended and the traditions of what we did. Um, you know, you could not turn up in a pair of jeans, you would definitely die before you walk through the church doors. You know, we, we were not allowed to dress, like I said, in the way that we dress today. And after church, though, um, we'd come home and our parents, my parents, man, bless their hearts, no one was allowed to watch TV and none of us were allowed to go outside to play because my parents, they honored that day as a Sabbath day, which was Sunday for them. You know, a Sabbath day of rest. So that meant, for, for me, that meant staying in the house and all I could do was either rest or sleep because I didn't read books. That was my problem. And so I had nothing else to do in my life. I mean, you know, for a young kid, that was, the, you know, that was just the most craziest idea to stay in the house the whole Sunday and do nothing. And I could never, my problem was I could never sit still. It's like I had ants in my pants and, and I'd look out, you know, we had this big window in our living room. My sister would probably remember. And, I'd, and I remember that I'd just sit on the couch trying to act sad eh? so your parents can think, oh, and someone, you know, oh, poor kid. You can go outside. Oh, no, that even just 
You know, you know, it caused more of a problem to get a better beating from them, you know. And, and I'd look out the living room window and with my sad face watching all my friends play. We had, a play, uh, we had this field across the road from our house. That was every Sunday. I tried my best. Then I started climbing out the window while my parents were asleep. Whole different story. I mean, <laughs> when you think about it on a Sunday, right? Why do we gather? What is God's whole purpose of his people gathering together? And as I share this, this paradigm shift that I I shared last week in Christ, this next paradigm shift that I want to talk may ruffle a, a few feathers. It did for me. It did for me even as I prepared it. It challenged me. It, it, uh, and, and the whole purpose is that's the purpose of a paradigm shift in Christ. It's not just a New Year's resolution sort of thing. I think I mentioned last week the, the biggest stats in, the, in, a, in a New Year's resolution, the, high, the biggest thing around the world is people, uh, their New Year's resolution is to lose weight. But the stats also say 80% drop off their New Year's resolution by the month of February. So some of you still got a couple of weeks to uh, feel good about yourself until that turns around. Let's hope it doesn't. But please, as I share this, and, and I don't know, people say I, I don't really offend people, and that's, that's cool. It must be that pastor heart in me. But I, I, I don't want to offend you out of personal obligation. I want to challenge you from the Word of God, and I hope that that's where I'm referring my direction to. So as I speak, don't say, oh man, he saw me, that's why he's saying that. Or, you know, know, please, I love you all, please love me back, okay? Many of us may know the story about God, you know, saving the uh, the Israelite people from being slaves in Egypt, right? He sets them free. And not only is it about freeing them from slavery, but it is so that they could see the importance in following him once and for all as their one true God. And in this journey of being set free from slavery, God parts the Red Sea. I think some of us may have watched the cartoon, the movies and and all that. Uh, Hopefully you've read it in the Bible. You know, and he parts the Red Sea from the Israelites uh, and they cross unharmed. And once they are on the other side, you know, uh, long story short, Moses, in the early stages of walking through this desert to the promised land that God has given them. And the thing is, they soon, as they wander, they literally become known as the wanderers in the desert. I think it I could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like a, it was supposed to be a 13-day trip um, to the promised land. Yet it took them 40 years of wandering around until they actually got there. 40 years. And while they wandered, right, God gives them commandments to follow. And, he, and he, this is the thing. He sets his presence among them. And how does he set his presence amongst them? He gets them to build this tabernacle. And so what is a tabernacle? Many people actually don't know what a tabernacle is or was and the purpose for it during the old times and during the Bible times. You know, um, behind me here, this picture, it was a portable tent 
that the Israelites, they would move around while wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as they were making their way to the land God promised them so they could settle, finally get there and settle there and live there with God. Now this portable tent, it also it was also known, you know, known as a tabernacle. It was considered to be God's dwelling place on earth with his people, this tent behind me. And God didn't just, you know, the thing is, God didn't show himself as a physical human being or, or an image that people would worship. The purpose of this tabernacle, this tent, was so that his presence was amongst the people. Now, later in Bible history, the tabernacle uh, is no longer around because it is replaced by a temple. A temple built in Jerusalem for God's presence to dwell in permanently. And with this temple, there were, you know, there were three times in the year that God, you know, it's like he mandated uh, his people, the Israelites, to come together in Jerusalem and worship at this temple. Three times a year. Um, it was uh, the Feast of Passover. That was one time that all congregate together. There was a Feast of Pentecost was another one. There was another festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. And those were the three different festivals throughout the year that all these people will congregate, the Israelites. So no matter where you lived in the world at that time, if you didn't live in Jerusalem and you lived far away, if you were a Jew, you had to make your trip back to the temple in Jerusalem for all of these three celebrations because that was where God's presence was found. And because in Old Testament times, the worship of God pretty much had restrictions. You know, the history of the Old Testament times around worshiping in the presence of God in one location, meaning this temple in Jerusalem, you know, these three festivals a year is, is what brought the Israelites from all over the world together in a community setting just three times. And this was the tradition. This was the culture for the Jews until everything changed when Jesus came on the scene. And his radical teaching, Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, that was, man, that was the game changer. That was a game changer for the future of community worship. You know, do some of you remember when, when you decided to walk this true relationship in Jesus? You know, that day when you made this commitment, and maybe through, I don't know, a sinner's prayer that you did at that church gathering or the event that you attended, or maybe you just prayed a salvation prayer to Jesus at home, you know, where you just cried out to Jesus that you're ready to just give every ounce of your life to him, and you're sitting at the edge of your, uh, your bed saying that prayer, crying to him. You know, do you remember that day? <laughs> And how awesome it was that you felt this presence then fall on you. A presence of God in your life like never before. And a transformation began to happen, right? Began to happen in your life right there and then. And it seemed like you were, man, you were on top of the world because you knew your life had changed. 
And there, there and then, the Holy Spirit enters your life. And the journey begins walking a life of righteousness before God as a sinner. <laughs> Can you understand with me now? You and I, we had gained this intimate and direct access to God at that time. Now, there was no tradition of being restricted to finding God's presence in a gathering at a specific building or at a specific time. God's dwelling place is no longer found in a tabernacle or a temple, but it is now, it dwells, it dwells in you and it dwells in me. Can you understand that? God's dwelling place, it's not found in a building. And that, then at that time, as I said, Jesus being the game changer, it was also a paradigm shift in their beliefs, in their culture, in their way of living. No longer is the gathering for God's people, it's no longer a have to. I have to be at this festival because that's what we do every year. But, but it has now opened up to an attitude as of, of, I get to, I get to be in his presence. Not only is it just three times a year of, of gathering anymore, but it becomes weekly gatherings. This is the history of where church, the, the paradigm shift starts to happen when Jesus comes into the picture. And the people, they love it. They actually love being together in fellowship, learning about Jesus and hanging out. They, they didn't need to come to the temple anymore because they could meet together in their local communities and their cities. And they could worship together with the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in each of them. You know, Matthew uh, in chapter 28, verse 20, it says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That's Jesus. Not only are they meeting weekly now, right, in this paradigm shift of their, their Bible history, but they actually begin to meet on a Sunday instead of a Saturday because they now just... They saw Sunday as a day of importance to their gathering. Why is that? Because it just represented the first day of the week. And most importantly, it was the day Jesus just rose from the grave on the third day. It was a Sunday. And so they just called this day the Lord's Day. And so this is the beginning of a paradigm shift in the church. They meet weekly in homes, and they gather to fellowship and honor God about the salvation that has been freely offered to all their lives. It begins to grow into, into other homes and other communities, and soon after that, it moves into cities. And throughout history, more and more people, they are gathering in bigger numbers right up until this day of you and I in this very room this morning. And you think, well, then... Okay, then that, that just means, uh, well, that, that Jesus, now that he's come along, then maybe we don't need to gather together anymore. We don't need to experience God at this place or, or in the confines of wards like the ones we sit inside this morning. Really? 
what I want to, to do for the rest of our time together is ask and hopefully answer this question. And this is my question. Why do we even, why do we even bother meeting and gathering every Sunday? Why? You know, for, for 2,000 years or so, pe- people have gathered together as a community to worship the presence of God. And why is it still going strong today after all these centuries? And I want to share with you the importance of why you and I need to come together like we do every Sunday in worship to God and fellowship together. And if you are are going to, to make a paradigm shift in church, then you must first begin with understanding the, per, uh, the purpose of, of coming to church in the first place. <laughs> Why come every week? Why dedicate every Sunday morning to get up, to get your best clothes on, do your hair like I do, and just join others for the next two, five, ten hours in this building? <laughs> You know, one reason why it is important to fellowship in a weekly gathering like this is so that we can come together just in a visible presence. Nowadays, we are experiencing a lot of Christians that are happy to not even commit to a church. And their, their reasons, I don't know, man, their, their reasons might be legit, but it, just, it doesn't mean it's right. Many Christians don't come to church nowadays because they either got hurt from the church. That's a valid reason, I guess, but it still doesn't mean it's right. Let, let me tell you now, while 2019 has just started, okay, let me say this to you. The church will hurt you and I. <laughs> Because the church is built with sinners, backstabbers, gossipers, like you and I. The problem of church is that it has people in it. And if you fall away from, you know, being in, in a close relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you right now, don't let the church be the first thing to go. Yes, you, you may get pulled up and you may get challenged by someone to, to get out of your sin and back into the presence of God. You may even have a, a person that really cares for you, that they're so scared to confront you with the truth because they know you may walk away from church family. I don't want anyone to leave, hear me here, I don't want anyone to leave the presence of God in the way he designed it. And the way that he designed it was to do it in community, not to do it on our own. I think of this verse, I haven't got it up on on behind me, but Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 In the beginning of this verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, uh, Paul, he says, not giving up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together. And then he says, as some are in the habit of doing. 
You know, in our church, I'm not talking about just Southside, every nation Southside. I'm talking about the culture that we have here in the Western world, which Southside Auckland is part of. And many Christians, they take church for granted. It's easy to leave our church and, and, and go to another church as soon as we get offended by the word of God and, or, or, you know, and challenged to live in a righteous way that may be opposite to our sinful nature some of us may be living in right now. I've learned and I've, you know, that the door, the door, if you can see the spiritual door or the, you know, the door is wide open for anyone to walk out of as soon as someone may have, have offended or hurt us because of how we've, you know, you felt or how we felt we were treated. Man, in the church, it is in this context, in the Western world, here, even in, here in South Auckland, it is so easy to walk out of the church, if you know what I mean. It is so easy. It is so easy to leave. I know this. Yet it's a lot harder to stay and walk things through. Now, I don't think any of us have, no, I don't think really any of us have really experienced the true essence of what Christian persecution looks like or feels like. I mean, Christian persecution, it isn't just when someone teases you and I for being a Christian and then we become ashamed or we try to stand up for ourselves. There may be a form of persecution, but, but that's not, it's not really real persecution. Let me, let me read to you this article um, of, a couple, of one church currently in China. Um, at the end of the year, in 2018, during December, um, and some of our churches in China at the moment are very close friends with these leaders, and the persecution that they faced um, in China just as Christmas was about to, to come on them. And this is, let me, let me read this to you. Um, a recent surge of police action against churches in China has raised concerns that the government is getting even tougher on unsanctioned church activity, Christian activity. Among those arrested are a prominent pastor and his wife of the early rain covenant church. Um, and on, on Saturday morning, dozens of police raided a children's Bible class at the church. One Christian told the BBC, man, I'm lucky they haven't found me yet. China is officially atheist, though says it always, uh, it allows religious freedom. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Wang is the leader of the Early Rain Covenant Church. The church, it is unusual in that it worships openly. It's unusual that it worships openly? That's like us, isn't it? But this is what it writes. So the church is, is unusual in that it worships openly and regularly posts evangelical material online. The church says it has about 800 followers spread across the city, and it also runs a small school. Pastor Wang is also known for being outspoken. He has been fiercely critical of the state's control of religion and had organized a widely uh, shared petition 
against new leg legislation brought in this year, 2018, which allowed for tighter surveillance of churches and tougher sanctions on those deemed to have crossed the line. On, nine, uh, on 9th of December, police, they raided the church and they arrested Pastor Wang and his wife. Over the following two days, at least 100 church members, including Wang's assistant, were taken away. One member of the church, who asked not to be identified for, for the fear, told BBC that the lock on the church school had been broken, churchgoers' homes had been ransacked, and some were under house arrest or are followed all the time. She said police and other officials had been going to congregants' homes to pressure them to sign documents pledging to leave the church and to take their children out of this Christian school. On Sunday, some members tried to gather at our places for worship, but got taken away as well. The church building has been manned with police and plain clothes officers, not allowing anyone to enter to do worship service. Pastor Wang and his wife have been charged with inciting subversion of state power, one of the most serious crimes against the state and a charge which is often used to silence people. It carries a potential jail term of 15 years. Several senior members of the church face similar charges. And if you jump online, you can follow what's happening to them, this particular church, and many other churches around the world. Now, I read that. Let's flip it a little. Can you imagine being afraid here this morning, afraid to come to church every Sunday, knowing that you and I could one day be arrested for gathering together like this. It, it is hard to imagine. And why do I say that? Well, because we don't live in a country that persecutes in that way. And, to be truthful, it's actually not a thing that any of us are worrying about. We're not worrying that the police are going to walk in here and arrest us for preaching and worshipping God. We take our weekly gathering for granted. We forget how blessed we are to come together like this. None of us think about the day that that is, you know, this gathering is going to be taken away from us. None of us. There's this theologian here, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is what it reads. He, read, uh, he says this. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren, it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. Not all Christians receive this blessing. <laughs> the imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands, they all stand alone. But they know probably more than anyone else is that the visible fellowship is a blessing. Isn't it amazing that the presence of God can bring all of us into one room? We have many different Polynesian cultures in here. We have different Asian ethnicities, many half-caste mixes. 
from European to, to Pacific Islands to the Eastern countries sitting in this place. We have different ages that are represented all in one room because of the presence of God. And the truth of it all, not all of us really know each other as well. The presence of God. Why are we even here this Sunday, every Sunday? Well, Paul, he gives us a pretty cool answer in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what he says. Um, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Man, the whole purpose of coming every Sunday is for you to worship God with others in a physical and visible presence. We don't come here as if we're going to a movie theater, right? This church environment brings such a, a different, think about it, it brings such a different dynamic that you can never get anywhere else but in this type of corporate gathering. Because not only is the purpose of the church to bring people together physically and visibly, but there is such a, a unique presence that cannot be compared to Jesus Christ. It is because of Jesus, you and I, uh, would humble ourselves and come to church to be with others. And there's so many people, they don't even like being with people. <laughs> and some of us here, we, we may, there may be some of us, but some of us here, we may find it hard coming because things are that uh, I may preach, I may say up here. That you may be thinking I'm speaking directly to you, you know, to what is happening in your life that needs to change. I don't know. Some of us here, because, you know, you're trying to find purpose to your life and you still can't seem to find the answer or the, the key to your life. And that's why you come. We all have different reasons for being here. But the main reason you're here is to find and to have hope in Jesus. So in confidence, when you come every week to hear the word of God that is shared and it's taught, the purpose of coming here is not to, man, it's not to hear me tell my dry jokes or my, my, my stories that will inspire 10 steps to a better year. You and I are not here to just listen to the latest gossip on social media or about others sitting in this room with you. The purpose of physically being here on a Sunday morning is because of the connection we all have when we hear the Word of God and it connects us to the gospel story of Jesus. And I hope we never lose sharing and teaching from the Word of God and the purposes of having a relationship in Him. You know, even our time of singing and, and praising God this morning with our voices, that's another key thing that brings us together to experience God's presence. We lift our voices, we raise our hands, you know, every Sunday in one accord. Why? To be in His presence. Not in mine, not in yours, His. Ephesians 5, it says, Paul, be filled with the Spirit, and this is what he says, speaking to one another 
with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. Once again, in our church culture, in this Western world, here in South Auckland, we take this time together for granted. And it's easy to come and it's to come and sing and, and you hear how beautiful your voice may sound or may not, but you may think you sound good. Well, it's easy to come every Sunday and, and sing, but re, you know, stand there and sing, but just really have no participation in true worship with God because you just know how to flow with the motions. Because you have, why? Because you've lost, somewhere along the way, you've lost passion of worship a long time ago. Many people take the worship time of singing of God for granted. We do. I know this because I can get caught in that trap as well. The purpose of singing together is, is to hear one another, not their flat notes, but it's to hear one another confessing and prophesying things that God has promised us from his word. And we come together to sing our greatness, you know, our gratefulness from being saved. And we sing in unity for the purpose of blessing God with our voices in one accord of praise to him. And when we have communion together, we break bread and we drink of the drink to symbolize together, to remind us what Jesus did for us. And when you see things like water baptisms here in the church, when we have people come up and they share testimonies of prayers that have been answered, isn't it an amazing thing that when you confess and live a life with Jesus, totally dedicated to him, that our natural instinct would be to fall straight on our knees thanking him for saving us. We can come together and we, and we pray for each other to have strength to, to go from here every week, you know, with the Holy Spirit to lead us to reach our friends and, and our families to find a relationship in Jesus as well. All these examples, they are visible acts that encourages us because it happens only when people come together in such a unique way that only Christ can bring it together. My final point, the purpose of, of coming to church every Sunday is so we can build each other up. Let me bring you back to that first scripture I had shared early on in my, uh, for this point, um, Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Verse 25, it says, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in habit of doing, but it's this next part that I wanted to share, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The truth of the matter is, you and I, we were all made for fellowship. God designed us for fellowship. It is not a, let me teach, let me say this. It is not a biblical teaching that someone following Jesus is to do this walk on your own. It's just not biblically correct. It's just me and Jesus. Jesus is my judge. I don't need to go to church to be a follower of Jesus. 
I didn't need to go to church and be with people. Let me make it clear to you now. We don't go to church. I think some of us understand that. We don't go to church. We are the church. The persecution currently happening in China, even though the church buildings are being shut down and all the leaders are being arrested, the church continues on. Why? Because they are the church. Church is not confined to a building structure like this one. Your relationship in Jesus is you and him alone, but in order for you to grow in your relationship with him, you need others to fellowship with for that to happen. And as soon as you try to to do this walk with Christ as a lone ranger, that's when pride will sneak in and try to slowly take you out. And as soon as you stop your fellowship with others in church, you begin to find false happiness elsewhere. It could be through past sinful relationships, going back to past struggles that were ungodly, and after that, pride kicks in, and you have no more interest in listening to your dear friends that have been trying to encourage you all this time. They mean no harm to you when they say, man, you got to come back to church, bro. They don't mean any, any harm. They're just stating a true fact that your life needs. <laughs> but due to pride in us, we get offended because they're up in our face, you know, with the truth that actually hurts. Eh? <laughs> and so we begin to neglect fellowship and the purposes of gathering together in worship. And the Bible talks about the body of Christ, and the head is Jesus, and the rest of the body supports one another. Once we forsake fellowship, we are actually robbing the body of Christ in fellowship. And when we stop taking Sunday morning fellowship seriously, we take it for granted that God intended it for his people to come together to worship and acknowledge his saving power over each of our lives. When we take this gathering for granted and and we forget the purposes for being here in the first place, that it is to worship in a visible presence for, for each of us to be encouraged seeing the person next to you worship. And when we lose purpose for coming here, the trap we can fall into is devastating. Why? We become lazy Christians that have no interest to sing together because, man, I just don't feel his presence the way that I used to feel it before. Or we lose interest in reading his word together because, man, the word, it's just boring to read nowadays. And we stop praying for each other because, man, none of my prayers have been answered. They've been answered for a long time now. The church, please let me say this with all the love that I have. The church was never designed for it to be a one-stop shop or a fast food drive through window. The church, it was designed in a way that you and I would come in knowing 
that there is uniqueness of learning to serve others and to help us walk closer in relationship with Jesus. Many of us can get caught up in, in, in coming to church every Sunday morning. And we may rate the praise and worship from, from 1 to 10. We put a score on, on, on the pastor's sermon if he was funny or not. I used to do that. I'm sorry. I repent. <laughs> and, and if those things score low in your day, Sunday morning, you, work, you walk out of this place unhappy or unchallenged. You know, our Western-style church attitude has become all about me. Yet Scripture teaches that you and I exist for the benefit of the body. It's others. Have you ever traveled or gone to some kind of, you know, business gathering? I'm going to finish up here. And you've, you've turned up, right? And you know that you walk in and you're like, I'm the odd one out here. <laughs> you know, you may be the only cultural, uh, you know, the ethnicity in that room. Or you may be the youngest one in there. You may be the oldest one in there. And you've walked into that room. You're just the odd one out, right? I remember, it's funny because um, uh, I think... Tovia and you know, and Linda. When we moved to the Philippines for three months, um, you know, we lived there for three months. And I remember being in the Philippines, for, that was our first time, right? And to the locals, myself, me. I mean, you guys look at me and you think you look Asian, Filipino, Chinese or something. But I went there and people thought I was big. <laughs> They're thinking, oh, are you, a, are you a professional basketball player? Hey, hey don't laugh. I was, I was trying to live that glory while I was living in the Philippines. If it wasn't that, I think I've shared it before. If it wasn't that, I'd be saying, oh, hey, uh, are you a, like serious, are you an MMA, professional MMA fighter? And I just started saying, oh man, I feel pretty cool right now. I've got two left feet. I'll probably get knocked out straight away. But this is what they were saying. And, and sometimes me and my wife, we would walk, uh, you know, through the mall, and people would just stop, like, and stare as we walked past. They would just stare at us, because we were, oh, well, I was muscly, <laughs> I'd like to say, uh, we, you know, good looking, had hair, no, I didn't, I didn't have hair back then, but, you know, and so they would, we were, they, they, they'd look at my wife, they thought she was just tall. You know, people on the streets, they would just stop and just watch us walk past. No one, I mean, no one knew. No one knew we were Samoans, you know. I think a lot of people, they never even heard of this place. But there was this one time, the Katinas, the Katinas came to town. Remember Linda? The Katinas came to town. We got tickets from Tovia and, and Linda. And um, it was full house. It was thousands. I'd never seen, man, these Katinas are famous. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, this Samoan, man. And we went in and we, we, you know, we were sitting, myself and my wife, and I think my kids were there as well. I think Tovia and Linda were in there as well. Um, and 
you know, they, you know, the Katinas, if you know, they sing. And, and as they were singing, they started singing, ah, and they were introducing themselves. And they said, oh, man, who here is from China? Hey, you know, there was a couple of people. Who's here from, anyone from Indonesia? You know, they do those kind of calls. And so they're calling all the, the areas of Asia <laughs> around East. And, and then, you know, they, at the end, they said, who here is from the Philippines? And then the whole crowd just erupted. And then they said, man, it's great to have you here. And then one of the brothers goes, ha, who's, who's here from Samoa? <laughs> like this. And they started laughing on stage. And me and my wife, Chee! Chee! and we were right at the top and they're going, oh my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> I tell you, I've never been so proud in that moment to represent the part of my culture. How much more so when we gather together with all our different backgrounds, and, and the one common thing we have to be proud of is all of being part of the body of Christ. And having that in mind, what would it be like if, if you understood that the purpose of coming to church every Sunday, I mean, I understand these people that work and these people, you know, I'm not talking about oh, stop working on Sunday, that our culture shift has, has happened very differently now in the world that we live in. Some of us have to work on Sunday, and so that's fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just this commitment coming to church every Sunday to fellowship when you can with brothers and sisters in Christ, meeting each other maybe for the first time, even after I finish and say amen today. What would it be like if you understood that the purpose of a Sunday morning gathering is so you can be here, you know, on the first song because you know how important it is to sing and to worship and confess the Word of God in song alongside my brothers and my sisters in Christ. What would it be like if you, if you understood that the purpose of our weekly Sunday services was to have the opportunity to talk with one another and even get a chance to be prayed for or even to pray for someone else. This year for you and I, it's time to make a paradigm shift in church. And that's why if you haven't heard the first sermon before this one, you need to. Because in order to have a paradigm shift in church, you have to have a paradigm shift in Christ. It starts there first. But to, it's, it's time to make this paradigm shift in church. It requires each of us individually to commit to being in God's presence physically. Now, I'm not asking you to turn, to turn up on time and force yourself to try and show others that you have it all together when in actual fact you may be struggling with your relationship in Jesus. I hope you're hearing me. The whole purpose of being in the presence of God in our church setting every Sunday morning is so that we can unite our minds, our hearts, our souls, our voices, our prayers in one accord to be a blessing to our Heavenly Father. And it's from that we receive blessing of seeing brothers and sisters present in the physical and then as we all commit to these ideas of seeing a, a paradigm shift, you adjust to a paradigm shift in church, 
men will eventually get to see this year with more of our unsaved friends, finally, they'll join us on a Sunday morning because they see the importance of attending church as well. So this is my sermon today. This is my heart. It's always hard to talk about things in church and how people don't turn up or whatever, especially when you're the pastor, right? (laughs) Probably would have been easier for somebody else preaching this message. But I'm preaching it because I know God has called you to a paradigm shift this year, 2019. It can't be the same as last year. It just can't. Not for your life. I refuse to let that happen as your pastor of this church. I love you too much. God has called us to make a shift. First in Him. And obviously today as I've shared in the church. Please, I don't want you to get religious on me. I pray that you can learn. It's, 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 in, our, it's in our blood for many of us. Tradition, culture, church is culture, church is tradition. Yes, I understand, but I want God's presence in your life. I want God's presence when I come and I'm standing on the stage at some Sundays and seeing you all worship, worship with your hands raised. Do you know how much that encourages us to raise our hands even more? I'm so blessed to be here. I hope you are too. A paradigm shift in your church life. What does that look like for you? Let's pray.